This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. This is Tech Guide with Stephen Fennec, the place to stay updated and educated. Tech Guide, episode 454. Hello and welcome to the podcast that keeps you updated and educated about the latest consumer tech news and reviews. Thank you for listening. My name is Stephen Fennec and I'm the editor of techguide.com.au. On this week's show, is our technology taking over our life? We'll chat to Dr. Joanne Orlando about her new book that can help us cope. The 5G-enabled helmet that can increase rider safety on the road. And you might not be able to afford a Bentley car, but maybe Bentley headphones might be in your price range. In the Tech Guide reviews, we're going to take a look at the new Earshots earphones for adventurers that are held in place by magnets. We'll also put the Kobo Ellipsa e-reader and notepad through its paces. And we'll also run our eye over the new Oppo Find X3 Pro smartphone. And your tech questions will be answered in the Tech Guide Help Desk. And it's all brought to you by Netgear, the company that keeps you connected, and Norton, the company that keeps you protected. It's a question we are asking ourselves, especially parents with... uh, with children, teenage children who using technology all the time as adults, myself included, I never had tech when I was a kid. Uh, and I'm sure a lot of you listening may have been in the same boat where technology was something that was in later in life. It wasn't something that you grew up with. But like our for our children, they're, they're, it's all they know. The technology has been in their whole life. Like my, my daughter, my eldest, she's 26 years old, and she has literally had the internet her entire life. I remember getting the internet connected in our home a month before she was born in 1995. So that I look back at that thinking, well, for her, the internet is something she's always known. Just like for me, I've always had a television, TV. I, I, I can often hear my parents remembering, oh, we, we, before we had a TV I, I never knew life like like that, so and I must sound the same to my kids when I tell them before the internet, and they just think I'm an old man. But the, a lot of us are in the same boat, and a lot of us are for, from for many people having so much tech in our life can be a little bit stressful. And we we've spoken to Dr. Joanne Orlando. She's an expert in technology and relationships and education, and she has just written a book called Life Mode On, which is uh, all about approaching life with technology, being able to cope with it. So real solutions for long term fulfilment, she says in her book, in the increasingly digital world that we live in. We have an interesting chat. It's all about, her book is all about how to, to make us feel less stressed, more in the moment, back in control of our life without technology taking over. As wondrous as tech is, and my whole career is based on technology and new products and how we use them, but there are times where we need to maybe turn away or do things differently and uh, just just to be able to cope with the whole rush of notifications and emails and all of these sorts of things. And that's something that we talk about with Dr. Joanne. Welcome to the show, Joanne. Uh, it's actually not your first time on the Tech Guide podcast, so great to have you back. Yeah, thank you. And you've just you've just published a book as well, Life Mode On. I like the title; that's cool. Uh, and you you've obviously you we've been we've spoke to you before. You are an expert when it comes to talking about our relationship with technology. Uh, you've now written a book about it. So, are we doomed? Is te- does technology have a place in our lives? Do we need to pull back? Tell us tell us what we need to know. <laughs> oh, there's so much to tell you. Um, yeah, I've been researching our relationship with technology for about 15 years now. And one thing really stands you know, out, that we love technology. We don't want to live without it. We would struggle to be without it. Most people are of that opinion. 
But over the years, what's really stood out for me when I've been studying this is the um, huge amount of stress that we're experiencing because of our use of technology. You know, teenagers, they have a different kind of approach to technology, but for those of us who started using technology as an adult, you know, um, the way we've been using it and how we've got into it and our path has been quite messy and a bit unplanned. So we've been sold this idea of like the digital dream that technology will make our life easier and all that kind of thing. And we've bought lots of devices and, you know, the latest apps, you know, we're into it. But what we're finding is that living well with technology isn't something that's that that's coming naturally to us and we're doing like all kinds of crazy behaviours. So, you know, about um, 70% of us sleep with our phone under our pillow or, you know, within um, reach. We're doing things like sending one more email at night from the toilet, you know, from bed. Um, 10% of us interrupt sex to check notifications <laughs> and do that regularly. So we've got all these crazy behaviours wow. going on and we think this is how we're supposed to uh, act with technology, but most of us really feel like out of yeah. control with it. It's it's interesting what you said earlier about um, at, at, we're using technology. Most of us as adults, we never had this as, a, as when we were younger, but yet the younger generation, this is they know life. They don't know life without it. So to them, it's like this is life. So that that's an interesting difference there. So on the on the let's talk about adults first. So people like you, like me, who when we were younger never had technology. Yet we're finding that we are are we handling it better than our than our kids or worse? Well, that's a really interesting question. We often kind of worry about what technology is doing to our kids, to teenagers. You know, we say they're addicted; they don't know life without technology. Um, they handle it differently to the way, say, a forty or fifty year old handles it. I think a forty or fifty year old probably feels the stress from it more. Um, that's my kind of analysis on it. We, But we don't want to get rid of technology and we know there's problems. We know we don't have a really healthy relationship with technology. But we tend to focus on the kids more because we worry about them. But really I find, you know, I, I research children, I research adults. Um, we are having just as many problems, different kinds of problems to the kids actually. So uh, we are, are in your book, you're talking about various things, including uh, digital detoxes and how we can handle things. Yeah. Is, there, is there such thing as a digital detox? Can it actually work? If, if I walk away from my device for the weekend, it's still going to be there when I get back though, isn't it? Is, is, does a digital detox actually work? Yeah, well, that's such a good question. And uh, if you read any magazine article or, you know, you go online and things, they often present digital detoxes the the answer to all our stresses that we're feeling from technology. But yeah, you're exactly right. So say you're having a, you decide to have a digital detox weekend. You can even have a luxury escape digital detox weekend, you know, um, which is all in good. And you have a break from technology over the weekend, but it doesn't solve any problems. It really just puts your problems on pause because come Monday morning, all the hassles that, that you're having with over, you know, over checking notifications and, too much screen time and things, it's all just there waiting for you Monday morning. And, you know, with digital detoxes, there's actually no evidence at all to show that that's the way of relieving your technology stress. It is, it, and there's lots of kind of explanations around our technology use that have no evidence at all, and a detox is one of them. Yeah, I, I, I like to, well, you, you know me, I'm working in tech all the time, I'm looking at a screen all the time, yeah. and I, I like to pull back sometimes, I, I, not a detox, I like to have things, like do things that don't involve looking at a screen, like I'll play golf, or I'll do a puzzle, or read a book, or things like that. Is that something that people should look at, rather than, look, technology's there whether you like it or not, it, it's it's not tech, it's our life, isn't it? it, it we can't avoid that, but is that, a, is that what you would recommend for people to sort of pull back sometimes, just have a bit of a breather before you dive back in, rather than, you know, this is here to stay, we've just got to live with it? Yeah, this is, yeah, uh, well, the, the message of the book is this is here to stay, and we have to learn to live well with it. So, yeah, absolutely, you know, our life should be varied, you know. I, I do lots of running and that kind of thing. So getting off your screen, of course, you know, we need variety in our life. But the, the message from the book is 
okay, when we're on the screen, when we're using technology, the ways we're using it now tend to cause us a lot of stress. We feel quite exhausted. When we've been using our technology, we feel emotionally stressed from it. We've got so much information swimming around in our head. Uh, we're doing crazy things like we check our phone every 12 minutes on average. <laughs> you know, we're right. doing these things that we just don't really want to do. So the book is about helping you to understand why you're doing these things and then what good use of technology is at work, at home, you know, in between and, and how to make changes to make it better. And sometimes it's just the, the tiniest change that can make a really big difference. So that's what I talk about. So using it well. Sure. And what about uh, you, you hear terms where they, they say people are, they have an addiction to technology. Is that actually a thing? Can people be addicted? Yeah, it's because we, we, a lot of people would say that about themselves, that oh, I'm addicted to my phone or I'm addicted to the internet. Um, but there's no actual classified medical condition that there is internet addiction. You can't be addicted to taking selfies. You can't be. I was reading online the other day of a, of a new kind of uh, health condition around our technology use, and it was binge-watching addiction. For those people who just can't turn off Netflix. So, of course, you know, as I was reading the article, there's absolutely no evidence at all. And we keep hearing about these things. So, no, you can't be addicted to your phone. You might feel like you're using it too much, but an addiction is quite a different thing. Um, But we keep hearing these things. The only kind of addiction that has been classified, you know, properly by the health authorities is addiction to video games. But even that has been incredibly controversial because they're saying, well, if you're actually addicted to video games, it's not the game you're addicted to. You're escaping into the game because of another mental health issue. So just like some people might uh, turn to alcohol or turn to drugs, some people turn to video games as a way of escaping, you know, uh, quite significant mental health issues. Your book talks about a few things, including describing what we're doing. We're, we're sending emails from the table and all these things. We're, we're checking our emails regularly. It's by the bed. So what what are the, some of the tips you can offer to help us deal with our te- – use our technology responsibly so it's not going to totally disrupt our life? Yeah, sure. So the big – the massive, massive uh, habit that most people want to get rid of is that they feel like they're checking their phone too much. So it's the the biggest habit that people really feel out of control. And I think the issue is that because often they're on their phone and they don't even realise that they've picked it up. You know, they might be chatting to someone and they pull out their phone or, you know, they're just uh, that kind of sense of out of control. Well, we worry about that and we worry about how much time we're spending on that. But the... It's about kind of digging deep and understanding why we're doing that. You know, that's one of the things I talk about in the book. So the reason we kind of pick up our phone or go onto our device a lot is because we use it to to escape, to manage our stress. So, you know, you've had an argument with your, your partner, oh, okay, pull out your phone, start scrolling Instagram or difficult client, you know, or bad day or the dog's driving you mad. You know, we tend to go onto our devices and we use the act of using our device as a way of relieving stress. And because most of our devices are mobile, it's really easy to do. So now now we're at the point where even the tiniest, tiniest lull in the day, you know, we pull out our phone, the conversation's getting a bit boring, you know, you just start <laughs> checking your screen, don't you? Um well, so I, I don't. I think there's there's a certain <laughs> there's a certain etiquette to it, don't you reckon? Is that something we need to learn as well, like a, a phone etiquette? And and is that something we need to teach our children as well? Ourselves, and no, you've never done it when when you're with me, so that's a good no, sign. Of course, uh, so. <laughs> um, so it's understanding why we're reaching for our phone. So if you want to pick that kind of habit, uh, one, it's about being polite and being sociable, but it's also having like you feel like you have more control. So. I think a good thing to do is for a day, just study yourself. You know, watch when you reach for your device or when you reach for a screen and what's led you to it. Is it boredom? Is it stress? You know, is it the people around you? And and help you to understand yourself and why you're reaching for your phone 
And then if it's something that you do all the time when you're at work, maybe you've got a boring job or maybe the job is just too complex and you're putting off doing the hard work, then try to shift it so that it makes it harder for yourself to escape in that way. So if your go-to is you go onto Instagram or you go onto work emails, they're probably front and centre on your home screen. So get rid of them, move them well, well down deep into your screens or log out of them, make it harder for yourself. And I think another good thing to do is if you find yourself, you know, constantly pulling out your phone, like when you're bored, you know, waiting in line to get your coffee order, then set yourself up so that you've actually got something else to do. So it could be something like using a, you know, a tracking app, a fitness tracking app, or, you know, go through your photos or, or something or take a book with you, but set yourself up so that you're actually helping yourself to not go on your phone at those times that you just don't want to go on there. You want to kick that habit. And many, many of us are obviously are parents as well. And mm. is, is it important to pass these tips on to, to kids? Like uh, what, what's kids are getting phones a lot younger nowadays. So like as young as what, eight, nine, ten. My kids got yeah. their phones when they started high school. So is, how important is it for a parent to establish like to all these things you've suggested to establish that kind of that those kind of habits for their child so that they they understand the relationship you should have with your device? Yeah, no, extremely important. You know, I always say our children, I've got three children myself, our children watch our every move, don't they? Particularly uh, double standards. So if you're saying, you know, you uh, if you're getting angry at them because they're checking their device while you're talking to them or they're walking around the house, you know, holding their phone and you're doing the same, um, they're going to notice that. So any kind of rules and discussions you have around appropriate technology use are going to be quite weak if you're doing the habits that you're telling them not to do. But I think, you know, I think with our kids, they're a different generation and they do use technology differently. So it's really important to have lots of conversations with your children around technology use. So you might hear this podcast today and, you know, you've got children at home. You might mention something that you heard on the podcast today as a way of starting the conversation. Or you might read something, you know, in a magazine or see something online. It's really good to just talk about technology use with our children without being judgmental, without setting rules, but just having a chat about it, you know, that where everyone can talk and it's a conversation. That way you kind of get um, conversation around our technology use out and open because I find in a lot of homes when I go in and do research with families and I interview the children, I interview the parents, I find in a lot of homes that there's not a lot of discussion around technology use. There's a lot of rules, a lot of anger, a lot of arguments, but not a lot of kind of, you know, dinner time chat about it. And uh, that's what helps you to understand your children's technology use as a parent more. So that way you'd be able to actually set better rules that uh, are much more kind of relevant to their technology use. And it's a, a two-way conversation is really needed. Sure. And and the whole point of your book, of course, uh, is all about feeling less stressed while still using your technology. So having some sort of some control in your life. Yeah, that's right. A lot of us feel out of control. A lot of us also know that we can't be without our technology. We can't work. You know, we want to have the kids still contacting us. Um, so it's about understanding your technology use and then understanding what good use is and then taking action. I'll give you an example. About 85% of us wake up in the morning and we reach for our phone as the first action of the day. So that's a pretty typical thing people do. And, and it's also a thing that people really worry about. But um, what is more of a worry is the content that you're seeing the very first thing in the morning. So often you'll go into the news and uh, what you'll see are probably all the violent and disasters that happened overnight. Uh, and then you'll check social media and a lot of people feel quite stressed when they see social media and see the, the wonderful life everyone else is having, and you know, they've got the kind of the day-to-day life. So there's a lot of social comparison, a lot of misinformation, a lot of hate. Um, so what we're doing is we're diving straight into a lot of negative content very first thing in the morning, you know, before you even get out of bed. So we're starting our day on that note and it actually raises our stress levels. You know, we're, they don't need to be, you know, within the first 15 minutes. So if you are going to reach for your phone first thing in the morning, 
think of the content that you're actually bringing into your, into your day straight up. Um, forget the negative content. You know, check social media later. Check the news a bit later. Do something that's a bit more positive. You know, listen to music or I think, you know, one of the things I do on my phone is I put like goals and different kinds of inspirational quotes just on my home screen. So when I pick it up, I just see something that's really important to me at that time and it helps me to kind of set the day. So think about the content you're letting into your um, into your day and if it's positive content, it, your stress levels won't be raised and you'll actually have a bit more energy and start the day on a, a better mood than diving straight into, you know, the disasters that happened overnight while you were asleep. Great advice. Life mode on, how to feel less stressed, more present and back in control when using technology. Uh, It's out now. Dr. Joanne Orlando, thank you so much for joining us today. It was really great to chat to you. Thanks so much. My pleasure. This is Tech Guide with Stephen Fennec. Well, Telstra has just partnered with a startup to bring its 5G technology to a new bicycle helmet. This is a really interesting development. Uh, there's a, a startup company has been working. The company's called Arenberg. They've been working on this helmet. I think it's called Road Helmet 1, I think is the name they've given it. But it's 5G enabled and brings with it a lot of smart technologies to help improve on-road safety. Now, this is, if you're a cyclist, you can you can understand that it is uh, people, more people are cycling than ever, whether it's to deliver your food or to commute to work or just for leisure. There are so many more cyclists on the road. And each year, tragically, 44 cyclists are killed on Australian roads. And that number could rise in the future if if things don't change, if we don't have we products like this that can help the cyclists be a little bit more aware of their surroundings. The the helmet was uh, Telstra naturally with five G. They're always looking at ways to utilise the network, and with its fast five G connection. The helmet can do a few things. For example, warn riders about roadworks and accidents near them. Warn of possible car door openings. That's a rider's worst nightmare. If someone opens their car door and you, you happen to be there, uh, you're head first over the handlebars. There is also technology that, that can be enabled that will allow riders to see around corners and pick up oncoming vehicles that they may not have seen uh, with their own eyes because it's around the corner. So here, here's all this technology that, that's being developed. The the features, the, the road alerts, for example, that, that's a system called virtual variable message sign. So what it does, it actually, it, it gives you alerts for roadworks, accidents, breakdowns, congestion, and these are audibly announced to the rider as they enter an area that's affected. The other, the other technology is called V2X Collision Alert. So this gives vehicle and vulnerable road users that they share real-time location, headings, and collision alerts. The other thing, too, that it can, it can do is deliver video analytics. So it generates data about your ride by analysing the video, and there's a camera built in the front of the helmet. There's a picture of it on TechGuide you'll be able to see. And that data is stored and displayed in real time alongside the video stream. The other thing, the car door opening we mentioned, cyclists can receive an early warning of a possible car door opening alert based on video analytics processed in the cloud. So it it can give you that split second alert that could mean the difference between you hitting the car door and somersaulting over it or avoiding it, swerving and avoiding it or braking. The other technology is also video analytics alerts. So cyclists can share real-time locations and headings on the V2X platform. So video analytics from things like street cameras that pick up moving vehicles around corners can send an alert to the cyclist through this platform. So the platform will provide an alert if it determines that there may be a collision. So it's just giving you a heads up. These little heads ups, they can be the, the could, could literally save your life. It also can combine virtual and real riding. So a rider at home on a training bicycle can share a ride with a person out on the road in real time. So the road, the rider's helmet view is streamed to a TV in front of the training bicycle. 
And this is all brought to you by 5G. Having 5G connectivity helps with those speeds of data uploads and downloads, but also too is the latency, which is 5G is not only is known not only for its speed, but also for latency. So if something happens at one end of the network and it, it triggers a switch at the other end of the network, it happens instantly. Over 4G, that could be a second or two delay. While not long, that could mean the difference between getting that notification a split second too late. Hence the reason why 5G in this equation was really important to make this thing a reality. The Arenberg helmet, which uh, they're saying will be possibly available by the end of the year. So keep an eye out for that. It was endorsed too by Anna Mears. She's an Olympic champion cyclist and she got involved because she, she too wants to see the fatalities reduced on Australian roads and wants, wants riders to be a lot safer and this is a product that she believes can help achieve that. The 5G enabled helmet which is partnered through Telstra and Arenberg. If you want to check it out, we, on our story, there are images of the helmet. There's also quotes from Anna Mears and, and pictures of her wearing it. It's a really interesting development, and I think one that cyclists will really appreciate. Hopefully, we'll see it sooner rather than later, but if you want to check it out now, you can do that at techguide.com.au. I don't know about you, but a Bentley car is slightly outside my price range. As lovely as they are, they are not for everyone's budget. But Bentley have also partnered with a headphone company. Focal have partnered with Bentley to produce the Bentley Radiance headphones. So not only are you getting a great sound, but you're also getting a great look. They, they looked fantastic. These are engineered and developed in France, the Focal Bifocal for Bentley, and they are an amazing combination of naturally superb audio and also, though, have a stunning design. You can see the Bentley, the Bentley logo on the side of the earphones. So they've got this really distinctive look. And they also bring in a lot of important Bentley design elements. These are wired headphones as well. They've got a closed back design, full range speaker driver, 40 millimeter aluminium magnesium M-shaped dome on board. So they sound fantastic. And they were created under license by Bentley Motors and feature, of course, the logo on each of the arms of the earphones. They also include premium materials, including full grain leather on the ear cups and an aluminium housing. They have the the manu the Bentley diamond effect on the headband, along with the grill on the outside of the ear cups. These are design elements that you see in a Bentley vehicle. The same grill is also on the cable connectors to the headphones. Now, the leather used with these Bentleys are the same soft, breathable leather used by Pittard's Gloves. Now, Pittard's famous leather company, been crafting leather in Somerset since 1826, the leather is really soft, yet very, yet durable, and was has been used in a lot of industries over the years, including fashion, yachting, and even the military. The, the Spitfire pilots wore pitard gloves during World War II, if you can believe that. Amazing. So uh, that's the same leather you're getting with the Bentley earphones, the Bentley Radiance earphones. Naturally, these sound amazing. They've got 35 ohms impedance frequency response between 5 hertz and 23 kilohertz. They are on the large side. They weigh nearly half a kilo. They're 435 grams, yet comfortable to wear because of that beautiful soft leather in the ear cups and also in the headband. And sound quality off the charts, really nicely balanced, really, really beautiful bass response as well. Uh, th these aren't cheap either, as you could imagine. Bentley earphones, the headphones, I should say, are $1,999. So if you've got a lazy $2,000 and you can tell people you've bought a Bentley, if that's the case. The Focal for Bentley Radiance headphones, they also come with a hard carry case so you can take them anywhere with you. But in terms of audio quality, offer the audio quality and they offer amazing design as well. So a lot cheaper than a Bentley car, but still, if you're an audiophile and you have a fondness for that Bentley brand, the Focal for Bentley Radiance headphones might be just up your alley. If you want to check it out, you can know where to find them, techguide.com.au. 
This is Tech Guide. The Tech Guide podcast is proudly supported by Netgear. They're Australia's number one Wi-Fi brand. Is your Wi-Fi struggling to keep up with your streaming, work, gaming, video calling and more? And what happens if you're doing all of that at once? When you're connected to your world by Wi-Fi, be sure it's the best. Bring your Wi-Fi up to speed with Orbi Wi-Fi 6 from Netgear. Orbi Wi-Fi 6 is the best and latest in Wi-Fi. It covers your entire home with the fastest Wi-Fi for uninterrupted streaming, video calling and working and learning from home on more devices than ever before in any part of the house. It's Wi-Fi perfectly engineered. Are you ready for the best Wi-Fi ever? Find out more at netgear.com.au slash best Wi-Fi. And now, a Tech Guide review with Stephen Fennec. Kicking off the reviews this week, we have uh, another pair of earphones. We had headphones a minute ago, the Bentley Radiance, but these are earphones with a difference. These are called Earshots, and these are built for adventurers and held in place with magnets. So there's no shortage of wire-free earphones on the market, but not all of them can meet the demands of active outdoor users. We're talking cyclists and mountain climbers and all, all these people who are out there, high-speed, high high-action, outdoor adventurers who are sick of losing earphones. And naturally, it took someone taking matters into their own hands to create it. Uh, these earshots were designed by James Bell Booth, an adventurer based in New Zealand. He was growing frustrating, frustrated with his earphones falling off while training for the T42 Adventure Race in New Zealand. And so he was inspired to create a product that would allow him to still have his enjoyment and yet still have the music playing with his earphones. And what, what he came up with was this one-size-fits-all solution that uses magnets on either end. So you can think of these as, as wrap-around earphones. So they hook behind your ears. That's sort of the main body of the, of the earphones. The tip then rests inside your ear and connects magnetically to the other side. So through your ear, it's, it's, it can still reach the magnet on the other side to hold it into place. And what he found, Bell Booth found that the earphones were able to uh, to handle high performance and high velocity environments, and uh, it withstood all kinds of movements. Naturally, it is uh, waterproof and, and dustproof, so it can handle the outdoors as well. Took five years of research and development uh, to to create the prototype and uh, and bring them to market. So they do you they do have a unique design. They use bone conduction and air conduction to create the balanced audio that you hear as well. And they are not noise cancelling because you do need to have audio environmental awareness. So the even though you're listening to music or whatever you're listening to, you can still hear the environment around you. I think that's really important if you're in the outdoors. You need to stay connected to your surroundings while still enjoying the impressive audio quality. Uh, really, really if, have, take a look at them on Tech Guide. They're... Uh, they are, they are a unique little product that are held together or they clip into place. So through your ear to the back of the earphones with a magnet, they do come in a, in a giant uh, charging case. So if you do, they're about four hours of battery life and then you pop them back in the case and then I think all up you get about 20 hours of use in total. And uh, and they are, if, you, if you're the sort of user who tired of your earphones falling out and you are maybe a cyclist and you're out in the outdoors, you, you, you want these things to stay in place, then the earshots are just for you. And they're only $159 as well. So don't forget, no noise cancellation, but pretty decent audio quality, I've got to say, with decent bass response too. So what, for what you're getting, you get a lot of value there, 159 bucks. That's in Aussie dollars. They are naturally available in New Zealand. That's where they were invented. But uh, the earshots, 159 if you want to check out what they look like, you can do that at techguide.com.au. Next thing we're looking at today is the Kobo Ellipsa. Now, we mentioned it a few weeks ago. I have since reviewed it, and this is an e-reader with a difference. It's an e-reader with a 10.3-inch screen. But it also is a notepad, so it comes with a stylus and a cover, which also doubles as a stand, but I'll talk more about that later. 
This is, so you're getting a nice big bit of screen real estate, 10.3 inches, e-ink screen, comfort light, so it can be read in the in dark in bed, in the dark in bed or at the, at the the on a park bench in the middle of the day in the sun. It'll handle either scenario, all scenarios, so you can read in comfort on that high-res e-ink screen. So all your business as usual for Kobo here, this is their wheelhouse. They know how to make an e-reader. It's a brilliant e-reader. Easy access to your books, easy access to the store too. So you can download a book in seconds and be reading it straight away. If someone recommends a book, you can look it up on the store and be reading it within a minute. Uh, so that's all at your fingertips. The other thing at your fingertips is a stylus, which allows you to underline passages, circle passages, write in the margins, write yourself little notes. And I know a lot of people who do this, a lot of people like to read with a pen in their hand. I think it helps them perhaps enjoy the book more, absorb the book, understand the book, remember the book. Uh, I know a lot of people who don't read a book without a highlighter in their hand, especially if it's like a self-help book or a business book or something that a non-fiction title, they, they like to, uh, something that they're trying to teach themselves or something they want to learn. So that's, I think, attractive for those sorts of customers. So uh, up until now, doing this on an e-reader, you, you couldn't. So now Kobo has kind of filled that gap with the new Ellipsa. And on the, sty- the stylus comes with it. One thing, it is. This is a first attempt by Kobo, and and while the that feature is really handy, writing on the screen is is not quite as responsive as it needs to be right now. Slight delay in what you're writing. There were times where I was writing and I thought that it never it never fed, received my in my input through the stylus, so I went back and I found myself writing the same letter twice because it would take half a second to appear. So that's something you really need to keep in mind, especially if you're doing a lot of writing. There is a section for you to create your own notes and store your own notes. Uh, if you do just want to write about your book or write when you're reading a book in, in, that, in the actual book, that's one thing, but you can actually create separate notes that are stored on the device as well. And so if you're doing a lot of writing, if you're writing fast, the Kobo may take a, like a split second to catch up. It, it's In the years since we've had the iPad and Apple Pencil and these other tablets that can write on the screen. Samsung's Tab S products are fantastic as well. The responsiveness is virtually instant. Like you use any of those products and what you it's like writing on paper. You get that instant response. The Kobo Ellipsa, unfortunately, slightly behind that. It's not, it's not quite there, but it, it does take a little bit of getting used to. Still a useful product and a useful feature, but that's something you need to keep in mind. What it also has too as a note taker, is handwriting recognition. And I was uh, pleasantly surprised at how accurate this is. This feature is. And my writing at the best of times is not that good, uh, yet it, re- it was word perfect and letter perfect when it, when it translated my handwriting into text in the note mode. There's two modes. Uh, there's basic and advanced. The advanced mode allows you to convert your handwriting to, to uh, text as well. The stand that comes with it, it's a cover slash stand because being a larger e-reader makes it also heavier. I think a lot of people who do a lot of reading with an e-reader, your usual six-inch Kindle or Kobo is quite small and light and it's just nothing to hold. You can hold it all day. With the Kobo Ellipsa, it is larger. You do have that bigger screen, but it is also heavier. So for you to hold it, you can do it. It's not like holding an anvil, but it does. After a while, you may you may you may feel it's getting a little heavy. So having the cover slash stand helps this. Uh, you can fold the stand back and then arrange it in a way so that the book is resting on a surface and tilted up at an angle so you can comfortably still look at the screen or write on the screen, read the screen, so you don't have to hold it the whole time. Just something else you need to keep in mind as well. Uh, one other thing we need to talk about is uh, the battery life. Battery life is fantastic. As usual with an e-reader, you, you're counting battery life not in days but in weeks. And in this case, same deal, up to two weeks on one charge. So even if you use it regularly every day, could be a couple of weeks before you need to plug this thing in to recharge it again. So if you went on a holiday for a week, 
you don't need to take the charger for this thing because it'll still be running strong even when you get back. So always been a strong feature of e-readers and no exception, the Kobo Ellipsa also has strong battery life as well. One thing we've got to talk about though is the price. The Kobo is priced at $599.95. Now you've got to remember, you can pick up a regular Kindle or a Kobo for about 120 bucks. I think Kindle even sell a sub $100 e-reader. That does have a much smaller screen. It doesn't have the note-taking capability, but it's still an e-reader. And for this to be four times as expensive, it places it right into the same ballpark as an iPad. So an entry-level iPad today will cost you 499 Aussie dollars. If you add a pencil to that, that's an extra $150. So you're looking at about $644, for a an iPad with an Apple Pencil, which is only about 40 bucks more than the Kobo. So it is placing itself in this ballpark. People may think, you know what, I'm just going to get an iPad. And if I want to write on the screen, I'll use an Apple Pencil. Not sure whether you can annotate a book on the iPad Pretty sure if you download the Kobo app on the iPad, you may be able to do that. I'll have to check, but that that's just one thing people need to consider, that this is uh, not a cheap product. It's actually in the same price range as an iPad, even with an Apple Pencil included. But nonetheless, on its own, still a really impressive product. I'm looking forward to version two. I think is going to see some super improvements. Still, though, quite useful. If you're into your reading and you like reading, as I said, with a pen in your hand, the Kobo Ellipsa is something for you. If you want to read our complete review, and I've also done a video, so check out our video, like and subscribe to our YouTube channel too, Tech Guide AU. The video is accessible through our story on Tech Guide, and you can see pictures of the Kobo Ellipsa as well. Check it out. Out, techguide.com.au Now, I know the Oppo Find X3 has been on sale for a little while now, but uh, I've only just now got, in, got around to the review. And I've got to say, I'm really impressed with this phone. It's it's a flagship phone, so this is competing against Apple and Samsung. So if you are in that class of phones, if you're looking for that you may want to include the Oppo Find X3 Pro in your study of uh, of your new device. So whether you're tossing up between an Apple or a Samsung, very rarely do people toss up between an Apple and Samsung. You're either Apple or you're an Android, and the the, the move from Apple to Android and vice versa is few. It's not as, as big as people staying within the iOS ecosystem or the Android ecosystem. So perhaps the biggest threat here is probably to Samsung users because this is Android. Oppo Find X3 Pro also uses Android, albeit though a different OS on top of that. They do have their Color OS, which is a very a thick layer on top of Android that actually reminds me of iOS a lot. They do, they do uh, take a few leaves out of the Apple book there in terms of design and look and feel. So it, it does feel a little bit Apple-ish as well. But the Find X3 Pro, $1,699. So it's well in that flagship territory. But you know what? Feature-wise, it does hold tone here. It does have a lovely screen. It's got a 120-hertz screen, variable refresh rate screen, so it can adapt to what you're using it for. It is uh, really nicely designed as well. It's really got a, this highly reflective back panel that molds and curves into the camera system on the back. So it does have a point of difference there. I think they, uh, they, they wisely made this look as different as they can from an iPhone or a Samsung Galaxy phone. So uh, this does stand out. It's 8.3 millimetres thick, weighs just 193 grams, and is, uh, I think... The, the point of this phone is that it's offering you quality, not only on your screen, but also through the camera as well. It uses 10-bit color management. So what that does, the, the, the screen can handle 10-bit and your camera system as well can handle 10-bit. So what you're shooting and what you're viewing all 10-bit, so it does look that little bit better on your screen. And a screen's important on a phone naturally, but it's something you're looking at all day. You don't want to be looking down and thinking, oh, I wish that looked better. This thing looks amazing. So if you are enjoying your content or even the content that you've created 
on the Find X3 Pro, then it has that 10-bit color management. So it just pops that little bit more, really showcases the quality of the screen. Uh, colors look great. 4K imaging, so you can have complete control with the camera over ISO, your white balance, shutter speed, all of that. Uh, and, of course, it has the modes for you to shoot through the cameras front and back. That, that uh, really does uh, it does a good job there. On the camera side, speaking of cameras, it does have two primary 50-megapixel cameras, wide-angle and ultra-wide. These, these include the Sony IMX766 imaging sensor, which is a really highly respected sensor, produces terrific results. So sharp, high-resolution images that have HDR as, as well. They've been HDR graded. There's also a 13-megapixel two-times telephoto camera What's missing, I think, in this phone is a greater zoom. You look at Samsung's phones, the Galaxy S21 has, I think, up to 100 times zoom with the Ultra, 50 times with the regular phones, thanks to this periscope this periscope lens system. Uh, that's one thing you're not getting with Oppo. I think that's this is that was a missed opportunity for Oppo there. So uh, if, if, if that's not important, then forget I ever said that, but... You, you do buy these devices because they take good photos, not because of the uh, the quality of the calls and text messages you can send. Uh, the camera, though, overall can hold its own against Apple and Samsung, so uh, uh, does not let disappoint there. The thing, though, there is a quirky feature, though, with this, and there's, there's a microscopic camera, which allows you to achieve this incredible magnification of everyday objects. And, and yes, the novelty might wear off, but I, I produce some pretty nice results, which I think is kind of a new form of art. The photos on, on my, that I captured, there is like a printed line on a page and I took the really, I took the microscope camera and it showed not only the grain of the paper and the fibers of the paper, but also how the ink had soaked in as well. I also took an ultra close up of a, the, the lead in a lead pencil. So the tip of a lead pencil, you can see all the, all the crevices and all the detail of the lead as well. So I think it's fun. You might be able to create this amazing art, I think, wondering what something is. Being able to look so closely at something, I think, was a fun new feature. Uh, as Running Color iOS 11.2, as I mentioned, has a 4,500 milliamp hour battery on board too. So no problem getting through a day and a half or day or even two days if uh, you're not using it that heavily over two days. The other good news is that when it's time to recharge again, you've got 65-wit Super VOOC flash charge. That's that's Oppo's term. And you can recharge quite quickly. In fact, 10 minutes of charge will get your battery up to 40%. It also has 30-watt wireless flash charge as well. So the Find X3 Pro can hold its own against Apple and Samsung. Tough to say, though, whether a customer with $1,699 to spend will turn their back on Apple or turn their back on Samsung. It is a beautiful phone, has the features to, to be playing in this in this ballpark against Apple and Samsung. I, my thought is that if this was priced a little cheaper, then I think a lot more people would have seen it as an alternative. It's priced roughly at the same price as the those flagship devices, those from Apple and Samsung. So they may be on the losing end of that decision. If this was a few hundred dollars cheaper, uh, maybe $1,100, $1,200, they may have been in with a better show of getting people in uh, with not only great features, but also great value as well. The Oppo Find X3 Pro, though, still a great phone. Uh, if you want to take a look at it up close, you can check out our review at techguide.com.au. This is Tech Guide with Stephen Fennec. The Tech Guide podcast is proudly sponsored by Norton. They're the company that can keep you and your family safe online. There's been a rapid increase in cybercrime with constant data breaches, online scams and ransomware, just to name a few. Norton's all-in-one cyber safety solution, Norton 360 Premium, now comes with dark web monitoring powered by LifeLock, which helps notify you if your personal information is discovered on the dark web. It also includes device security and secure VPN with bank-grade encryption to help keep you private, online, plus a password manager, PC safe cam and more. With Norton's award-winning security and globally trusted protection across 50 million customers, rest assured Norton 360 Premium with dark web monitoring is the all-in-one protection for your devices and data. Norton 360 Premium is available now 
at leading retailers. And now, answering all your tech questions, the Tech Guide Help Desk. The Tech Guide Help Desk is brought to you by Belkin. They're good mates at Belkin. If you're after a cable, battery, speakers, uh, think something to hold your new Apple AirTags, Belkin has got you covered, belkin.com.au. So head over there. Uh, Today, we're talking about a very popular question I get asked, and a lot of people, they have no, they they want to improve their Wi-Fi at home. A lot of people initially blame the NBN. They say, look, it's no, the NBN's rubbish, but they soon discover, and and I can say this to about 95% of all people whose complaints about the NBN, it's not about the NBN, it's about the Wi-Fi in their home. And the thing with the NBN is that you do get it, you, the, whatever supplier you choose, whatever retailer you choose, Telstra, Optus, whatever, TPG, Aussie Broadband, whoever you choose, they supply the modem router. So it's one unit that's the modem, brings the mo- internet into your home, the NBN into your home, and the router. Router creates a wireless network in your house, and that's normally not really up to standard. And so what people do is one of two things. Firstly, if it's a small apartment and that they want to just extend the Wi-Fi a short distance, then a range extender normally does the trick. If you're living in a larger home, and this the problem that I hear about most often is that the modem is located at one end of the house. And normally when an NBN connection is, is brought in, it's the first point of connection that they install it, whether it's your garage or your bedroom. It's the first entry point into your home. So I hear from a lot of people who their modem is way at the front of the house, their TV and everything else is way at the back of the house. And so what I suggest to those customers is a mesh Wi-Fi router. That allows you then to take the Wi-Fi signal. So you connect one unit to the modem and then spread it around the house. So with a, with a two-pack or a three-pack, so we're talking Netgear Orbi. Netgear obviously sponsors of our show. Or I use Netgear Orbi personally. There's also the Google Nest Wi-Fi. There's a new Eero uh, Wi-Fi uh, 6 system, mesh system from Amazon. There's the Linksys Velop. There's plenty of them. And, but they all do basically the same thing. One unit connects to the existing modem that you got, so the supplied modem, and then the other units are placed around the house. These all talk to each other, create a dual band or tri-band system in your home, and suddenly your problems are solved because the modem part's great. You can't do anything to bring the internet into your house faster. I get that question a lot as well. You can't just change the modem and then miraculously have twice the speed. That can't happen. Modem does its job. Modem is a modem, but the router is what controls the wireless the wireless network, so how the data is streamed in around your house. The router part of these supplied modems are rubbish, so that's why you need to step in either with a range extender or if you have a larger place, have a mesh Wi-Fi router. And 99% of the people I've recommended this to have all reported back saying their problems are solved. And that is our show for this week. If you need to find out any more, you can find it at techguide.com.au. Everything we've spoken about is there. So if you want to see what something I've spoken about looks like or watch a video, it is on techguide.com.au. Please get in touch with us. We'd love to hear from you. Info at techguide.com.au is the email or click on the Ask Stephen icon on our website. We want to thank our sponsors, Netgear, the brand you can trust for all your Wi-Fi needs, and also Norton, the company that can keep you and your family safe online. Thanks again for listening. We'll be back with another show next week. So until then, stay safe and stay connected. (laughs) 